Is your money working as hard as it could be for your future? A decade ago, Robinhood changed the investment landscape when they pioneered commission-free stock trading. Today, they continue to offer innovative products to help users build a better financial future, like IRAs, ETFs, options for qualified traders, and much more. Take control of your financial future with Robinhood. Download the app or visit Robinhood.com to learn more. That's Robinhood.com. Disclosures. Investing involves risk. Other fees may apply. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIP. PC is a registered broker dealer. Good morning, Brew Daily Show. I am Neil Fryman. And I'm Toby Howell. It's Monday. Just had a weekend. How was yours? I had a crazy weekend. So, as many of our listeners know, it was my birthday on Friday. I thought I was just going out to a low-key dinner with my girlfriend. Turns out she had flown in my brother, one of my best friends from growing up, and threw this huge, huge surprise birthday party for me. So I went from zero to 100 really, really quick, so I had a really fun weekend. Um, But yeah. Nice. Well, I celebrated your birthday too, but away. (laughs) And with your dad, we played golf together. He treated me to an amazing day. Uh, He is the best trash talker I've ever heard. Now imagine what he's saying about all of our episodes, though, after he listens to them. He was telling everyone to sign up for our podcast. He was was an amazing promoter. He deserves everything. Like, he's a great guy, and I'm excited. Are you going to be just like him? I honestly, he rubs off on me, but I hope I'm not just, just like him. I don't him. think he'll be just like him. But yeah. It was interesting to see the the similarities. Yeah, and how where Toby came from. Yeah. Okay. Oh, Meanwhile, Tampa, I was down in Tampa. That place is blowing up. Yeah. It's I don't know why you're up here. <laughs> it's the lifestyle is incredible and there's construction everywhere. Well, I, I like doing this show with you, Neil. There you go. Speaking of, we got a great show ahead of us yeah. today. We're talking a little bit about Warren Buffett's shareholder letter. A little bit about HBO Max and how they're still not really doing that well, despite their great shows. Um, And then, yeah, we'll finish off a little week ahead action as well. Yeah, it should be a good week. Okay, so to start it off, uh, there is more investigations into where COVID came from. And it's just, first of all, really crazy that we're almost three years into this global pandemic and we still don't know where COVID came from. I know. It, it is crazy. But so what, what was the, the Yeah, news? so there's news. Uh, the Wall Street Journal reported that the Department of Energy reached a conclusion uh, that COVID emerged from a mistake in a Chinese lab and that escaped to the human population. And this is known as the lab leak theory. The lab leak theory. Um, and it's really uh, important to note that this was established with low confidence. So basically, they don't know. Uh, they previously didn't have any idea. The Department of Energy mm-hmm. didn't reach a conclusion. But um, in a updated report, they said that they had reached uh, uh, with some level of low confidence that it emerged from a COVID lab in Wuhan, China. No, the two things that stood out to me from this story is one, I can't believe that the energy department is making a conclusion on (laughs) the origin of COVID-19. And we'll get into exactly why they are doing that. But that was like number one thing, super surprising. And number two, I didn't realize that the intelligence community was so split still. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that so actually the lab leak theory is uh, in the minority of all U.S. agencies. Okay. What's really been interesting is that the U.S. agencies, they're not really seem to be working together on this issue. They're sort of pursuing their own lines of investigation, yeah. which I think is great, honestly. Right, I think it's They're all too. pursuing their different methods, and they're reaching their own conclusions. Four U.S. agencies think it was natural transmission, which means uh, animal, an animal uh, gave it to humans, right. probably at that uh, wet market in Wuhan. Mm -hmm. Two are still undecided. And then now two think it was the lab leak, the Department of Energy and the FBI, which has moderate confidence that it came from a lab in China. Right. And why is the Energy Department actually telling people where COVID came from? <laughs> I, in the newsletter this morning, I, was, I actually wrote the sentence because right. I knew people would have questions. It was why question. is the Energy Department making a determination in this case? They apparently oversee 17 labs in the United States doing like really advanced research, and a lot of them are working on bio stuff. So they gleaned this information not from sending a spy balloon to China <laughs> yeah. or anything, but from their, their uh, labs in the U.S. Labs. Yeah. Now, that was definitely the, the number one takeaway. I was like, wow, good for the energy department. But also that this lab leak theory is not that China purposely released a bio agent yes, they have, into the world. The U.S. has determined that it was not, you know, it was purely accidental right. that this happened. So that's the one thing that every investigation has agreed upon, that it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't like intentional. An, intentional. Um, but yeah, it is interesting, too, that the lab leak theory did used to be a little bit of a pariah. Like, you weren't supposed to say that it came from a lab. And now we have two more uh, agencies kind of saying, again, with low confidence. Yeah. But it is interesting to see once more facts and research has been done, what has come out. This whole thing is is has been politicized from the very beginning. For sure. Because Trump said it was the China virus. Mm -hmm. And then uh, that led to a lot of surge in hate crimes against uh, Asian Americans that is still happening. Mm -hmm. And progressives pushed back and they were like, we shouldn't really talk about blame China for this um, because we're looking at what's going on to Asian Americans. This is terrible. We shouldn't associate China with the emergence of COVID. Mm -hmm. And then there were critics of that approach saying like, well, you're suppressing the examination of truth. Yeah. And and it could be a lab leak. Um, so this whole thing, there's a lot of I told you so's now right. from the Nate Silvers of the world exactly. who are who are sort of chiding progressives for being a little too sensitive around the issue. And that we the, like the most important thing here is to get to the bottom of <laughs> how this thing started so we yeah. can prevent future pandemics. Yeah, no, absolutely. That is the most important thing. Um, but, yeah, it was a pretty crazy news headline to read over the weekend. Something else that happened over the weekend was Warren Buffett published his annual shareholder letter, which is kind of like, I don't know, Christmas or a holiday for business news professionals, because he he writes bangers, honestly. Warren writes bangers of, of shareholders. For more than letters. 60 years. I know. He just... He's so consistent, yeah. But so we're going to get into a little bit of what he he wrote about. The headline issue that he kind of touched on was uh, stock buybacks. That was like the main theme of it. And saying that Buffett believes that buybacks are super beneficial to shareholders and that critics are who say they're bad are either economic, economic illiterates or silver-tongued uh, demagogues. So he's basically like really, really laying into people who say, because it's been very popular from politicians especially to say like stock buybacks are bad. This is an example of corporate greed. But Warren's like, nah, there's, they're really good. And I'll, I'll get into a little bit of why 
Yeah, maybe we should talk about stock buybacks, a little background. It's basically when a company repurchases its shares from the open market or existing investors. Um, and it's sort of a fancy dividend in a way. Right. But the critics say that um, share repurchases, stock buybacks are sort of like a bad use of capital and mm -hmm. that these companies, if they have extra money left over to buy their shares, should be investing in jobs in the United States and in pursuing like capital expenditures and building factories. And and paying their workers more, mm -hmm. and they accuse these companies that are doing share, share repurchases or stock buybacks as just like enriching themselves. Right, but Buffett is saying that by reducing like the number of shares outstanding, you're actually right. increasing the intrinsic value of every single share that a shareholder owns. And so he's, and he's also saying because a lot of people say you should take your cash and return it to shareholders through dividends, but he's saying this is similar to doing that. But because a lot of people actually reinvest their dividends just right back into the company. So technically, he's doing the same thing, just skipping that extra like dividend step. So yeah, Buffett, big fan of, of stock buybacks. There's, there's also... Sorry, I just want to interrupt you and say that there, there's actually movement on the like anti-stock buyback front because Biden, uh, through the Inflation mm -hmm. Reduction Act, there, there's now a tax on stock buybacks. That's one percent, and uh, it's in, it's intended to raise seventy-four billion dollars for the U.S. government. And um, in the State of the Union, he want he pushed uh, Congress to push that to four percent right. on stock buybacks. Right. So it, again, it is a heavily politicized issue at this point. I just want to take you through a couple of other nuggets from, from Buffett's shareholder letter. My favorite one was that Buffett attributes most of the success over his last 60 years to a dozen or so good decisions. So he said, in 58 years of Berkshire management, most of my capital allocation decisions have been no better than so-so. Our results have been the product of about a dozen truly good decisions. Okay, one of those, two of those good decisions was investing in Coca-Cola and American Express. Yes. Because here's some crazy stats that he invested in the 90s. He invested 1.3 billion in Coke, and now that stake is worth 25 billion dollars. <laughs> and then he invested 1.3 billion into American Express back in the 90s, and that is now worth 22 billion dollars. So I think that's exactly what he was talking about. Right. Outsiders <laughs> just run up. Right. From a very few. Good decisions. And we should note that Buffett is 92 years old, so we'll see how many more of these shareholder letters. He uh, also, he could be a, a writer for Morning Brew, by the way. I, he's good. I love the way he writes. Very plain, very uh, informative. So, yeah. Warren, if you're listening to this, we, we'd happily uh, have you on as a writer. Yeah. Moving on to the media world, the entertainment world, we're talking Warner Brothers Discovery, which is a company that many people probably didn't know exists because it was the result of like a million There's different so mergers, mergers and acquisitions. Yeah. The big news is that it is still losing money. It lost $2.1 billion in Q4, and that's despite some really big releases like The White Lotus Season 2 on HBO Max and The Last of Us, which mm -hmm. is that video game adaptation. Uh, it still lost $217 million from its streaming division. Uh, so this is taking a lot of time to make money. We're not surprised at this yeah. point that streaming is hard business. Right. I think why this is noteworthy to a lot of people is that in their minds, streaming is like a very big part of culture, right? Right. Like Last of Us dominates culture. White Lotus dominates discussion on the internet. The Hogwarts game was has been dominating news recently. So you're hearing about these things constantly, and yet you see their earnings come out, and this company's still losing money. It does. It goes to show that maybe cultural buzz doesn't always translate to 
good or anything. No, uh, but there are a few interesting releases coming up for Warner Bros. Discovery. Uh, they also own an insane amount of IP. Right. Like, uh, DC Studios, they own, Discovery owns all those channels, like Animal Planet and HGTV, yeah. which is honestly what people are watching these days on TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are a few interesting releases coming out. DC Studios is going to come out with 10 movie and TV projects to finally take on Marvel. We've heard this for so <sighs> long. Years. Yeah. <laughs> There's the Barbie movie coming out. Let's go. <laughs> with what's his name oh uh margot robbie and ryan gosling yeah. we got dune part two i never saw dune part one <laughs> and then i'm excited for timothy chalamet and wonka okay timothy chalamet big because he's dune part two as well you have to you ha- they have such good ip they have to yeah. figure something out here they'll get there eventually um and yeah the one other thing that i thought was interesting this doesn't contribute to the earnings that we just uh, mentioned, but Harry Potter Legacy made $850 million in retail sales in the first two weeks. Video games are so much bigger than movies, it's crazy. Yeah. Like, the best-performing Harry Potter movies only do around $217 million over that same period. So even though... You just don't understand how big video games are. Are you a gamer? I'm not. I'm not. That's yeah, why, that's why it shocks me to see how well it's done. If we were, we would have started off like every all the shows with uh, gaming. Right. Absolutely. Um, okay. Let's shift now to the world of Twitter. More layoffs hope happened over the weekend. Now at least 200 of its employees were laid off on sun on Saturday night of 2,000. So it's 10 percent of the company. Musk is at it again. I think the headline news, we'll get into Hugh, who he actually laid off, but he is so bad at layoffs. It's crazy. <laughs> what happened this time? He locked the company's Slack channel like before the layoffs happened so people couldn't like gossip about it. So now, not only can you not communicate with anyone, you don't know who got laid off. So people are like frantically telegramming each other and saying like, hey, like, are you locked out of your email? And it was the classic thing where you just try to log into your work computer, no more access anymore. I'm just shocked that it's still happening where just so callous, so... He, he doesn't care about people or I his perception not. in the media. Yeah. He is full media as the enemy at this point. For sure. Um, and so some of the cuts kind of targeted, honestly, some Elon Musk uh, supporters, like really, really from the beginning had supported him. The big one is Esther Crawford, who she led Twitter's product org, was kind of headlining the Twitter blue push, which is... Elon's, like, baby, right. he wants to monetize in that way. Uh, and she also tweeted out a picture of her sleeping on the floor in the early days of the Musk takeover. We just tossed it on the monitor for people watching on YouTube. Um, she literally slept on the floor during the early days of Musk tenure. Now she's out the door. Right. She also had a pretty fiery tweet, if we can go back to that, um, in our YouTube <laughs> channel. Um, but, yeah, after she was laid off, she kind of took, you know, she went after her haters for supporting Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. And she wrote, um, or for her support of Elon Musk, she wrote, the worst take you can have from watching me go all in on Twitter 2.0 is that my optimism or hard work was a mistake. Those who jeer and mock are necessarily on the sidelines and not in the arena i'm deeply proud of the team for building through so much noise and chaos heart emoji i know honestly i like that attitude it's a good attitude but then people clap back at her on their replies and are like okay but you didn't actually build anything good because twitter blue which is a subscription service that now kind of all social media companies are pursuing um had just 180,000 subscribers two months into the launch as of mid mid january Mm -hmm. and that was less than 0.2 percent of all of its monthly active users so this is not a big revenue driver this is not saving the company and musk is now he's not paying his bills yeah 
Oh, yeah. He's, he's on the hook for more than $14 million worth of bills to vendors, to real estate companies. They're not, they didn't pay their Slack bill. Oh, my gosh. There was a $7,000 swag gift box for Elon that a vendor sued Musk over. Oh, my gosh. We've said this for so long, but it truly, truly feels like Twitter's cheating on the edge. Even this morning, I was trying to refresh the, like, the web version of Twitter. Very, very slow. What is the end game here? Just selling it for pennies on the dollar? I don't know. In my heart of hearts, I hope he figures it out, but we'll, we'll see going this forward. This gets worse every day. I know. Uh, okay, this is news that I'm actually really excited to talk about with you, Neil. Nokia, which is the iconic phone company that we all kind of know and love from our, our childhood days, they just released, uh, redid their logo, and logo redesigns are always fun. Um, Nokia's saying that their logo redesign is... is representing a strategy shift in their business. They no longer make phones. They actually haven't really made phones for the last 10 years. They are a big 5G equipment provider, a telecom equipment provider. Nokia is a huge, huge company still. $26 billion in sales, none of which are, are their smartphone division. Um, I, there's a lot to talk about here. I know we have a ton of Nokia facts. Well, but first of all, what, what do you think of the logo? Yeah. Okay. So the logo to me is not good <laughs> in the sense that it, the, the same exact thing happened with Kia back in the day, but it, it is an N and the C don't really look like N's or C's. They could be A's. And so people are commenting on Twitter, is that Nocia or is it? There's no C. Aocia? It's I K. know, exactly. The right, K, yeah. The like problem, I don't know why brands can't just write it out legibly. That should be number one. Yeah. That's the problem. And the logo it. redesign it, thing. Right. We're, we're looking at it, and I literally just mistaken the K for a C, uh, even though it is a K. But you were mentioning that the, another recent brand redesign had a similar problem, which was Kia, Kia, which they can't, they didn't show people what they're actually, the letters are. Right. Kia didn't put the bar across the A, and so it kind of looks like K-N. And close to, after they did the redesign, close to 30,000 people we're Googling KN cars each month last year. That is not a good logo redesign. No, I, I think brands should update their logo every few years because mm -hmm. <laughs> regardless of what, how it looks like, I don't think a brand's logo actually matters to sales or anything, but it gets people talking about your brand. For yeah. the, when was the last time we talked about Nokia? Right. 2007. Well, it did go a little crazy during the meme stock boom, if you remember did it? those no. days. Yeah, it was... Nostalgia, but it is important to do it when you to signal a strategy shift. I mean, the most mm -hmm. thing, the biggest thing I can think of recently is Facebook switching to Meta, right? Um, and that wasn't just a rebrand for the sake of rebrand. I mean, they had like twink, they had tinkered with that F in Facebook for years, right? But this was a huge rebrand because it signaled a, a strategy shift mm -hmm. from away from social media and towards the metaverse. Yeah, I actually, I, I am now back on the side of this was a good move from Nokia because you're totally right. If there is a meaningful shift and you want to make that shift known in the mind of a consumer, it does make a lot of sense to, to rebrand and, and launch a new logo because it gives you an excuse to explain your new strategy to everyone. So, yeah. And before we came on air, we were talk, We were just kind of reading Nokia's Wikipedia and we were like, this is insane. Uh, in 2000, it accounted for, it's a Finnish company, which mm -hmm. is pretty interesting. It accounted for 4% of the entire, Finland's entire GDP <laughs> and 70% of Helsinki's market cap. That's and crazy. then in 2007, when it was 
this peak smartphone, it held 51% of global market share in smartphones. To put that in perspective, Apple owns 20, Apple's the leader right now and it owns 25% market share. So this was a giant. Yeah, there is a world in which we all have Nokia phones instead of iPhones because Nokia did know that smartphone boom was coming. It just didn't quite nail the product design, but there is, they I knew it, it was coming. It didn't do the uh, smartphone I guess they didn't, because it wasn't 2007 the first iPhone. Yeah. So as soon as Apple did the iPhone, they it was were, sort of game over. Right. But uh, it, yeah. it seems like they're doing a pretty good business in telecom equipment manufacturing. You know, maybe we don't have all Nokias in our pockets, but right. who's to say? You know, you, you make we, just like we talked about with uh, Warren Buffett. You know, the, he, boring, he, stuff, <laughs> the yeah. boring stuff is what makes money. Gets it done. Yeah. All right, our final segment for today, as we do every Monday, is looking at the week ahead, sort of giving you guys a preview of what to expect this week. Uh, the big, I would say the biggest news that I'm looking for, is prob and probably the biggest news in the country, is that the Supreme Court is hearing oral arguments over President Biden's student loan forgiveness program uh, that starts tomorrow. And if you don't remember that program, uh, Biden wants to wipe away $10,000 for most uh, borrowers from their balances. That's been challenged by this. This particular challenge is six Republican-led states are trying to get the Supreme Court to throw it out. So that'll be a, a huge thing that I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I think there are 40 million federal borrowers, so I'm sure you know we'll a, a decent amount of the it. country will be uh, will be looking into that mm -hmm, for sure. No, excited to talk about that. We have some earnings coming up as well. Target, Dollar Tree, Macy's, Kroger, kind of. I don't know the pulse of the consumer health of America. So not exactly the sexiest tech businesses, but I'm excited to check those out. My fun fact about that is with Dollar Tree reporting, this is actually a Dollar General fact that I came across on Twitter, but Dollar General has 18,000 stores in the U.S. that have generated $34 billion in revenue last year. Starbucks has 17,000 stores that generated $23 billion in revenue last year. So it kind of seems like on a per-store basis, Dollar General generates more revenue. Yeah, and also the fact that Dollar General has more locations than they Starbucks. They have so many. Right. Those were very surprising to me, both of those. As I drive, uh, I've done a lot of like cross-country road trips recently, and you see them all over. Often it's the only uh, you know store in town in many rural places. It's mm -hmm. just the Dollar General is where you get everything. Yeah. No, Dollar General, it, it rips, actually, so excited to see. <laughs> Toby, Dollar General, Toby, it says it rips. Yeah. Uh, we probably have, are not, not done talking about Elon Musk for the week because there's this big Tesla investor day on Wednesday, and uh, there's going to be another SpaceX rocket launch to the ISS with uh, astronauts. That was supposed to happen this morning at 145, and I got up at 430 to see if it happened or not. I wrote this whole blurb about it for the newsletter, and it, it got called up with two minutes left. Oh, so the, I life, mean, the, the life of a newsletter writer. The life of right? a newsletter writer. And then I didn't mention this in the newsletter, which I feel bad about, but there's a jobs report on Friday. Um, we'll see if the labor market continues ripping like it has been, which, you know, is great for American workers. Um, it's less great for the Fed, which is trying to tamp yeah. down inflation. And the final thing I want to talk about is that March is here. Yeah. I love new months, new beginnings. Uh, I think it's coming Wednesday because February is super short and mm -hmm. it's not a leap year. So what is your favorite thing about March? What I are you mean, looking forward to? The easy thing to say is March Madness. I mean, that's obviously. what I was going to say, so you can't say it. I know. So I'm just excited for the Ides, you know. I'm a big Ides of March guy. <laughs> okay, that's when Julius Caesar was killed oh, yeah. at Two Brute. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, Ted Lasso's coming back this year. I actually stopped watching after season two because I watched that Christmas episode and I was like, this is so cringy. There's no consequences to anything happening. Yeah. So I'm I'm sort of out on Ted Lasso, but I might come back. I'll still um, And yeah, I'm, I'm super hyped for March Madness. I'm sure we'll figure out something fun to do on this show. But the Terps are projected to be a seven seed, so it's always fun when your team is in. That is exciting. Well, March is going to be a heck of a month. This was a heck of a show, Neil. This was a heck of a show. Man, we, it went by so fast. Uh, thanks for listening. It's, we're on our full second week. Feel free to tell your friends all about this. Uh, we're going to do this every day for as long as people listen. Eternity. <laughs> Eternity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I want to get into who is helping out with our show because it's a lot more than just me and Toby. Our show's producer and editor is a, the big process truster, Emily Milliron. The show's technical director is Elias Alba. Supervising producer is Bryce Belloff. VP of technical and production operations is, is Dan Bowza. Thanks for the new mics. Our wardrobe and hair is no one, clearly. <laughs> and Devon Emery is our chief content officer. Our show is a production of Morning Brew. We'll run it back tomorrow.